C.S. Lewis gives us a brief but honest look into the best laid plans of humankind by the few. He says this, Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. Those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. As we're now less than two weeks away from the presidential election uh, here in the United States, the, the whole of the world sits on the edge of their seats, holding their breath to see who will come out on top. Every election cycle always gets this uh, label as the most historic. Well, I think that this one certainly deserves that label. I don't think the fabric of our liberty has been so fragile as it is now. We're, we're standing on a precipice that leads the American experiment into a veritable no-man's land. And in terms of the post-pandemic order and the intentions that have already been set forth by the UN, the World Economic Forum, and the IMF, and, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, by the Vatican, Pope Francis, for a complete and irrevocable global reset. One has to understand the, the threat that Donald Trump is to globalism. In fact, in a speech he gave at the UN, I think it was back in 2018, uh, I, I'm not sure, uh, but, but it was pretty recent. He drew a line in the sand, and it sent globalists in a panic. Here's what he said. Like my beloved country, each nation represented in this hall has a cherished history, culture, and heritage that is worth defending and celebrating and which gives us our singular potential and strength. The free world must embrace its national foundations. It must not attempt to erase them or replace them. Looking around and all over this large, magnificent planet, the truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. And if you want peace, love your nation. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. The future belongs to sovereign and independent nations who protect their citizens, respect their neighbors, and honor the differences that make each country special and unique. There you have it. You see, the danger that Trump represents is far more than his opponents lead us on to believe. His presidency has been what has put a halt on the plans of the globalists' agenda. And he's proven it with his own foreign policy, let alone his call to put God and country first. And tell me, when has that ever been a threat to freedom? It leaves you dumbfounded to try and understand the radical progressives who have seemed to dominate the national narrative on how putting one's country first 
has now become racist and fascist. It's driven people to madness. See, Trump is a threat to the global establishment. And that is easier to believe than the narrative you hear uh, here in the media narrative. Because you see, the order cannot abide, the, 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 the globalist order cannot abide a nationalist agenda and must therefore be, as the Pope and the World Economic Forum put it, a global community without borders. So what happens in November, uh, right now in just a week and a half, will determine how the shape of the globalist order will unfold. Because this time, as opposed to the attempts made by Pope John Paul II, the players intend to plant the globalist flag in the sand and cement it well. Think about how society operates right now. Since the dawn of the World Wide Web, the world has become more global than it ever has been in the past. Big tech has taken the internet and thrown us into what the World Economic Forum is now calling the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Because now it's not just about big business. Now it's about societal norms. I mean, haven't you noticed that the protests that came as a result of the killing of George Floyd penetrated beyond just our own borders? There were protests erupting all over Europe over his death, and over police brutality. So what do you think pushed an incident that took place here in the United States to an international cry of social justice for George Floyd? Social media. Social media and the new e-activism that has reshaped the entire globe. This is what the WEF refers to as agile government, which is an active call of the WEF to government for, or, or for government to evolve. And here it is in their own words. And this is all under their page of the Great Reset. Agile government is traditional governance structures and policymaking models having to evolve from a cumbersome and slow to agile and responsive and truly agile governance that will acknowledge that uh, that policy development is no longer limited to just governments. Okay. So who else who else now has the power for policymaking? They continue on here. The backdrop for all of this is the emergence of technologies that are shifting power and influence away from govern from governments and towards companies and non-state actors. This, in turn, is shifting and expanding the traditional view of governance. Even without a political mandate, technology pioneers are increasingly involved in developing private rules, certification schemes, standards, social norms, and policies that end up, by default, governing the ways that societies work, according to a report published by the World Economic Forum in 2018. These default norms and rules are often unrestricted by national borders. If government alone can no longer provide sufficient governance of emerging fourth industrial revolution technologies, whether related to the commercialization of artificial intelligence or the use of social media to influence elections, governance will have to come from new sources of authority and new models of collaboration. That's insane 
Take what's been happening with Twitter and Facebook, where once harmless public platforms to help connect friends and family and share information have now become the proprietors of how information is shared and what information can be shared to the point that major newspapers and media sites have to answer to online medium or, or to online mediums such as Facebook and Twitter for permission to share information. Now, since when did we ever come to accept Facebook and Twitter as the authority figures of how we share content and information? Any one of these major media network or news agencies can have their accounts completely shut down by these abstract watchdogs that nobody can see. It's just an ever-changing fine print. And who's going to read through all of that? No longer is social media just a platform to freely, the keyword freely, share information, but, but they've now become basically another news source. They've become a publisher and editor-in-chief. And it would seem that while we may elect our own representatives, one more office has been added without the consent of the voter, and yet with our every click, share, um, Every comment and like that, that we do, we give our consent every single day. The new world isn't being explored by sea or by land, but by the wireless data that is constantly flowing back and forth, giving big tech more power by the second. And the new explorers are faceless avatars writing the algorithms that in a way become a form of e-legislation, making sure that you are abiding by their rules regardless of your rights and what you believe. But it's all being done for the common good. So if you've already been uh, doing your own digging, looking into and uh, reading up on the WEF's plans, you, you might have come across their, their interactive map of what the Great Global Reset looks like. Uh, this map, which you can find on their website, is shaped like a globe. It's circular in shape, and, and it has about 55 different issues that experts representing a whole slew of disciplines are discussing from climate change, uh, green tech, social media, AI, to different economic structures, LGBTQ issues, race equality, you name it, it's, it's on there. And each category, when you click on it, then uh, this, this map will contract down and it opens up um, other subcategories under the category that you've chosen and uh, look, the engineering and thought behind this this particular interactive map is absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, so much so that you have to come to the conclusion that they've been working on this a lot longer than just 2020. COVID has just been the catalyst that they've been waiting for to take the plan from developmental to now active. 
Folks, this isn't about if, it's about when. Now, I'm not claiming to be a prophet here, but you know what? The signs of the times, they're telling us that we're on the verge of something pretty grand here. This this reset. But 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 the reset will be accompanied first with a collapse of what we have known to be the great American experiment. It has to. They have to destroy the the current social order in order to implement the next. Now they they may come with the message of peace. But the end result will only be a tyranny unlike the world has ever seen. The light of freedom has never been put out throughout history. It hasn't. Oh, it's, it's, it's been stifled. It's been hidden away. But it's never been put out. See, the greatest conflicts of history have been fought over this very light of freedom. Those, those who have sought the total and complete conquest... And, 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 and complete control of all men understood that at times the promise of this light had to be given in order for those to accept those that came with benevolence and peace as their message in order to get into power. But in the end, that light was always set aside. It was always hidden away. And sometimes it was lost. But there were always a few willing to stand up against tyranny in the name of that light, in the name of the light of freedom. And, and, and not for the conquest and enslaving of men, but for their true liberation. And this light has shone the longest with America because it was truly tethered to the principles of liberty and freedom. And so long as there are a few willing to hold up that light and fight for it, the self-proclaimed guardians of our supposed salvation will never be able to put that flame out. They'll never be able to win. And this is where we have to be awake, not woke. See, the woke may come with the message of peace and safety, with the message of change through revolution, but it will only end with blood in the streets with collapse, and with ultimate ruin. Those who are awake will always proclaim liberty through hope, through the preservation and love for what it is and has always been true, what is self-evident. And you know, with the Vatican being so instrumental in this global endgame and and the Pope himself being... um, a very strong candidate and variable in how uh, nations and governments will be reshaped in this post-pandemic world, this religious nationalism that they're looking for. It's so incredibly vital that you and I become so intimately familiar with what those undeniable truths are and what they mean for us. What does liberty actually mean and what is it based on? And how has tyranny been fought in the past, not just in the American Revolution, but in the more distant past? Being that Roman Catholicism is now a player in this global game for control, then one must ask, how was she positioned before with her authority in history? Why why were over 50 million killed, imprisoned, or persecuted? Why did a symbol for truth and justice become 
an exactor of tyranny and terror, using the power of the state to force and coerce others to follow its laws, policies, and edicts on pain of death. And who are those who were willing to stand up against this tyrannical power? Many of whom were willing to risk it all, not just their reputations alone and the offices they held, but actually risk it to their very lives. These few men and women who were willing to keep the light of liberty shining and visible for all to see weren't fighting petty religious battles. It may look like that. History may make it look like that, but it wasn't just about religious policies. They were fighting for the right to think and speak freely without the penalty of having everything taken from them, including their very lives. John Wycliffe, John Huss, Swingley, John Calvin, Martin Luther, John Knox, William Tyndale. These are just a few of the many. These figures represent not just what history has labeled as the time of the Great Reformation. It was more than just reforming a church. It was about granting society what belonged to every man and woman and child because of the sheer nature of their creation and existence, the right to live free, to be able to educate themselves and others, to have access to the Bible in their own languages so that by their own conscience, people could search for themselves. And yes, by reading and understanding for themselves, even question for themselves why it is they should follow any authority so blindly when in fact these laws and policies were not founded on the liberty of man. These were man-made laws meant to rob the free of their God-given rights. And these policies were enacted by none other than the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, and its head, the Pope himself. And many of these reformers, these heroes of their time, gave their lives for that liberty. Did their work and lives do anything for that cause? Absolutely. America is the product of the battles that they fought. Why else would the founders of this country make the first article of the Bill of Rights to include these five basic freedoms of all humanity, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, and freedom of petition, or freedom to petition? It's because of history. And what's the first of the five written freedoms in this first article? The freedom of religion. If 1260 years of such tyranny wasn't proof enough of this necessity for freedom of religion, then no one would be convinced. The first 10 amendments of the American Constitution were written and ratified in 1791 and set as the very foundation of our Constitution. And without it, many of our founders would not have agreed to the Constitution. They were, these 10 Uh, uh, these 10 amendments of the Bill of Rights were an expression of our natural rights as being inalienable and God-given. No person or even government could take these away, even in the name of some common good. And seven years later, the papal power would be broken in 1798, completely destroying this tyrannical power of the Middle Ages. And what resulted in the 19th century was the loss of temporal powers over what was labeled as papal states. 
With the fast-changing political spectrum of Europe and the establishment of the U.S., the papacy held little to no political influence or power as it once had. But it continued to speak through its many encyclicals. So why is it that the Vatican and the papal power are being restored or have been restored in our time? And this is just beyond a historical curiosity. How was the Roman power reestablished? So look no further than the year 1929. In what is known as the Lateran Treaty, which was signed by none other than a fascist dictator. And you want to know who that was? Mussolini of Italy. He was the one that signed this treaty, creating the very small papal state of what we know as Vatican City and granted the papacy its formal temporal sovereignty over this territory. A fascist dictator, one who subjugated his own people through harsh draconian policies, created a police state, and as part of his fascist cultural policy, reestablished the hierarchy of the Pope and would prosecute any who would offend the Pope or the papal state itself. Fascism along with a type of religious nationalism joining together. Now, it would take decades for the Pope to regain the same type of prominence and power that, um, that his office once had had and had plagued Europe in the past. And here we are almost 100 years later, with Rome once again taking its place among the superpowers of the world to try and dominate in this global reset. This is why understanding history and the progression of power is so crucial in knowing and understanding what is soon to come in the months ahead. Because knowing where we stand and on what we stand is what will ultimately seal our future and our destiny. Samuel Adams wrote this. It is in the interest of tyrants to reduce the people to ignorance and vice, for they cannot live in any country where virtue and knowledge prevail. The religion and public liberty of a people are intimately connected. Their interests are interwoven. They cannot subsist separately, and therefore they rise and fall together. For this reason, it is always observable that those who are combined to destroy the people's liberties practice every art to poison their morals. How greatly then does it concern us at all events to put a stop to the progress of tyranny. It has advanced already by far too many strides. We are at this moment upon a precipice. The next step may be fatal to us. This was written in 1772, but it couldn't be more true of 2020. The idea that liberty gives us the license to do as we wish without a moral foundation, without anything to which we are accountable to, comes from a framework that denies 
our own moral worth. Stephen Turner's poem, Creed, comments on the postmodern man, and he says it best. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth, accepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, white school looting, bomb blast school, it is about the sound of man worshiping his maker. The creed that leads the postmodern thinker is one that believes that morality is a product of my truth. My truth is the only thing that matters. I'm speaking my truth. But there's a problem with this. Truth must have an extrinsic quality to which it is tethered, or it becomes nothing but a matter of opinion. It's what now allows people to decide their own identity, even if the science and, 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 and principles that we know say otherwise. This is the ideology that encompasses the progressive groupthink bubble. And what's more, it's what justifies, at least in the minds of these thinkers, the coercion and even the legislation that forces the rest of society to adhere to their own subjective views and the redefining of terms concepts and principles. And if that means boycotting you and your business and boycotting your social media profile and you're being fired from your job and susceptible, being susceptible to, to threats by the self-proclaimed mob of, uh, of, of the new justice police, then that's what it means. You must comply or else. This is now the new definition of liberty according to the progressive social justice warrior. This is, by the way, the same exact ideology that is typical of the social activists, political activists, the elite activists, and yes, even the religious activists who are calling for climate justice, economic justice, racial justice, and gender identity justice. And if anyone does not adhere to this new global society of so-called justice, then this gives authority for our freedoms to be taken by force, unless we agree and comply with the new global narrative. No longer is human worth valued, even, even though they would say that, that our compliance is necessary for the preservation of all, for this common good. And they all agree, don't they? The climate change crisis now transcends cultural and social barriers. Governments, Private enterprises, educators, secularists, and religious leaders are all coming together on this issue, as they are on the abolishment of nation-states and capitalism. The stage is set. Take, for instance, what just took place this last week at what was uh, called the G20 Interfaith Forum. Now, this is from an article in Crux. As leaders from 10 different religious traditions gathered through Zoom at an interfaith forum hosted in Saudi Arabia, Pope Francis's latest document on human fraternity 
had a central place in the discussions. And now they quote Pope Francis's encyclical. We must put human dignity back at the center and on that pillar build the alternative social structures we need, said Miguel Angel Moratinos, high representative for the United Nations Alliance of Civilizations, directly quoting from Fratelli Tutti, the papal encyclical released on October the 4th. He goes on, we have heard powerful testimony on themes being considered by this forum, on the effects of climate change, gender gender inequality, economic imbalance, and poor governance, he said. Let us then witness to our religious communities, as well as to our societies in which we live, unity, solidarity, and fraternity for bettering our common home, as Pope Francis is continuously reminding us all, Ayuso said. This is our public responsibility, be it political, socioeconomical, or religious in order to find an adequate therapy to end the world crisis and to prevent a new one in the future, it's necessary to answer Pope Francis's call to reaffirm that we are members of the one human family. Now, in addition, uh, on October the 15th, Pope Francis called on the world to join on what he calls the Global Compact on Education. This was something that he had actually come out with last year in September and had announced this uh, global compact on education to take place at the Vatican in the month of May. But uh, obviously, because of the pandemic, it had to be moved. And it was held uh, uh, just a few days ago on October the 15th, and it was uh, done online. This is uh, from, from Vatican News. Pope Francis will once again address the theme of education, which is central to his teaching and dialogue with the world. Pope Francis will suggest that all people of good will join the Global Compact on Education, a pact to encourage change on a global scale so that education may become a creator of fraternity, peace, and justice. An even more urgent need in this time, scarred by the pandemic— he said, we need a global educational pact that, ed- that educates us to universal solidarity, to a new humanity. Pope Francis called for a new cultural and development, uh, and uh, sorry, Pope, uh, Pope Francis called for a new cultural and development model that respects and protects human dignity while creating a global interdependence to bring communities and peoples together to care for our common home and to foster peace. According to the Pope, amid the present health crisis and its effects, everyone should subscribe, everyone should subscribe to a global pact on education for and with future generations. He said, this calls for a commitment on the part of families, communities, schools, universities, institutions, religions, governments, and the entire human family to the training of mature men and women. That was from Vatican News. And as usual, uh, all these uh, articles and links uh, will be up on our website so that you can view them for yourself uh, under today's uh, show notes. And that website is truthreal.transistor.fm. And that's F as in Frank, M as in Mary. So again, that's truthreal.transistor.fm. So Francis is not only wanting to directly influence the policy of governments to to unite all religions and to effectively change economic policies and 
and and and and cultivate a radical activism towards ecological and 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 environmental issues. But now he wants to transmit this by also directly implanting and implementing these new cultural norms into our educational system. And 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 what has history taught us about the effective transformation of societies that you must influence the young by and through their education, what they're being taught. Teach them and indoctrinate them, and you'll not only change the present, but control the future. Now, of course, this is all necessary for the, quote, what he called, new humanity. And it's necessary so that, because what he is seeking is this global peace. Now, curious enough, Within a few days of this global uh, compact on education in a new documentary, Francis then um, makes a decision to influence social policy on the subject of same-sex marriage as he voiced his support of same-sex unions to be legal on a civil level. What makes this statement so incredibly bold is that He's the first pope to voice such support, especially on a matter that has clearly been defined by the church as being, be, uh, as, as being between a man and a woman. Not only that, but the Bible itself clearly states that marriage is, uh, is, is, is between a man and a woman. There has already been backlash uh, within various Catholic circles, as well as within the Vatican itself, on what Francis said, but... But now the LGBTQ community is praising the Pope and using this as a means to further their cause, whether they may be religious or not. And that's what makes this so incredibly interesting. And, and again, what, what makes this so incredible is that the global authority that the Pope and his office have gained and continue to gain, especially in light of this new global reset and the post-pandemic world, is rising, his popularity is rising not just within religious communities, but non-religious alike. Notice that in the last month, ever since Pope Francis released his encyclical, both the WEF, the IMF, and uh, various religious organizations and also uh, uh, many activist organizations are coming out in support of this encyclical. So it's not just an encyclical that is meant to comment on religious matters. He's transcending uh, the religious community that he belongs to, that he is the head of. But if he is to call for policy that does not have an objective principle tethered to it and, 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 and which one by his own conscience can, cannot agree to, then what happens? How does this all fit into this new humanity? Now look, peace is something that I believe is endemic to the human spirit. Who doesn't want peace? But history has shown us that when calls to universal peace are called, uh, called to by religious or political systems of power, the end result is tyranny. Because just as Samuel Adams pointed out, the liberty of the people and their religious beliefs cannot subsist apart from one another. If, if, if you try and legislate morality in the name of the public good, then you automatically erase the possibility of free conscience. You take that away. And you violate the greatest and most sacred of principles of, of life and human existence. 
This is what this is what was at the heart of the Reformation that took place in the Middle Ages against the Roman papal power. So, so if if we're now seeing history repeating itself with this reemergence of religious nationalism on a global scale, then how do we stand up against it as those who stood up against it in the past? We stand up against it with the truth. And in our time, it isn't just religious figures who have stood up and warned about this type of tyranny. Many here who are listening, I'm sure, are aware and have read um, uh, the writings um, by Ayn Rand. And in 1967, she made this really bold statement about Roman Catholicism. She says, The Catholic Church has never given up the hope to reestablish the medieval union of church and state with a global state and a global theocracy as its ultimate goal. Now, she was as atheist as you can get, but from a historical and geopolitical point of view, she hit it right on the nose. Further, there's a, a, there was a noted author that I came across, John W. Robbins. Uh, You probably haven't heard of him. But uh, he was a, a scholar on, on church history and theology, and, and in his own final analysis from the point of view of history, he writes this. The Roman church state in the 20th century, however, is an institution recovering from a mortal wound. If and when it regains its full power and authority, it will impose a regime more sinister than any the planet has yet seen. That's a stark statement. And we have a plethora of current events of history that we've been going over together here and open dialogue that is happening right now to prove that this is exactly what we can expect. History repeating itself in our time. And where does it all lead? Tyranny. Even the voices of the past who've suffered at the hands of tyrants Give us this warning about those who would usurp and take on such power and authority, all in the name of peace. Now, this statement comes to us from the Old Testament, from the old prophetic book of Daniel. And if you want to look it up and read it for yourself, you can tell me if this isn't a prescription for our time. Daniel 8.25 says this, And through his policy also, He shall cause craft to prosper in his own hand, and he shall magnify himself in his own heart, and by peace shall destroy many. Truth is what sets all men free. The new call towards revolution is no justice, no peace. Not so. For if there is no truth then you can have neither.
Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to The Truth Reel. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can do it where all podcasts are available. Also visit us at our website, truthreel.transistor.fm. Again, that's truthreel.transistor.fm. And if you're interested in donating to the cause of the refugees, please go to liveforone.com. That's liveforone.com. Join us as we continue to help our brothers and sisters, especially during this crisis under the COVID-19 pandemic.